KCSB FM, Santa Barbara, 91.9. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Clarissa Hom with KCSB News. This is the show that shares what's happening in and around Isla Vista and the UC Santa Barbara community. On tonight's show, we talk about what the housing situation is like here in Isla Vista. This is in conjunction with this year's UCSB Reads book discussing how urban design can lead to happiness. Later in the show, we'll also have a representative from the Isla Vista Surfrider Foundation and what they've been doing to make sure our waters are safe in the aftermath of the storm. But before we get into that, we'd like to shine some light on a recent hate crime that occurred just yesterday here in Isla Vista towards our Jewish community. Many leaders and residents in Isla Vista put a lot of effort and love into making IV a welcoming space for everyone. So it's shocking and disturbing to see anti-Semitic propaganda strewn around the streets of Isla Vista. Our KCSB executive committee member and programmer, Rebecca, a conservative Jew, invited her friend, who is in UCSB student leadership, to come on her radio show last night to describe what happened, their feelings about it, and what it's like to be Jewish at UCSB and in Isla Vista. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Tessa Vexler, and I am a College of Letters and Science Senator and Associated Students. I'm also chair of the AS Standing Committee on Basic Needs, as well as a leader within the UCSB Jewish community. So thank you so much for having me, Becca. I'm really happy to be here. Of course. I'm so glad you agreed to come on the show. It's, we're just going to kind of get started. Um, I feel like that was a very good intro. But for those of us that don't know what happened today around Isla Vista, can you give us a quick description of what happened in Isla Vista today um, and what people were seeing out in the morning? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I woke up this morning uh, at 8 a.m. to my phone, you know, blowing up with text messages from Same. people within my community um, until I kind of went outside still within wearing my pajamas and saw a little Ziploc baggie um, with anti-Semitic rhetoric and propaganda. And then I swiftly got on my bike and rode down the streets of IV to realize that one of these little Ziploc bags was basically dropped off in front of every home. So, and I mean, the bags ranged from various statements, um, ranging from Kanye was right to outright Holocaust denial. So not, not the most pleasant thing to see um, upon first waking up. If you could give an estimation, how many bags do you think there were just dispersed amongst all of Isla Vista? Well, I can say that within the Jewish community, we definitely collected at least between 200 and 300 and from speaking with um, IV Foot Patrol and, you know, the police and uh, CSO, um, I would say probably around 500 total, just kind of accumulating all those numbers together. Yeah. So uh, that's some scary stuff. That is super blatant anti-Semitism. Um, what was your first reaction when you saw it? What were the first feelings that you, because I had a similar experience. I woke up in the morning, my phone was blowing up at 830 in the morning I was like, what's going on? Um, you get out, you open your door, you see that. What was like your first reaction? I think the saddest thing is that I've almost kind of accustomed a certain numbness uh, to this type of event, uh, which only goes to show how frequent things like this really are. But even more so, I guess part of what drives me is that when events like this happen i have to stay busy and immediately get to work so you know within an hour of this happening i was already sending emails and setting up meetings and doing whatever i could to make sure that my community felt supported 
But I mean, it's shocking. It's it's shocking at how widespread this is. I've seen, you know, this group and these types of events on the news and also these types of things happening within neighborhoods. But I definitely never thought that something like this would happen to me. And at the same time, part of me, I mean, it, it seems like this wasn't a targeted event because of, um, I guess, like, like I said, the widespread nature of it. But there's a mezuzah on my door, clearly marking that I live in a Jewish home. So I immediately felt as if it was targeted. So regardless of whether or not it was, the feeling of someone coming at you because of your Jewish identity is indescribably awful. Mm -hmm. It's jarring. It's so jarring. And I do think that our education system has failed us. I think that when it comes to Holocaust education, um, I think that... You know, generally, we do learn about the Holocaust within our U.S. education system, but we don't learn about the ways that anti-Semitism manifests itself in modern society. We don't talk about the ways that the Holocaust didn't just happen. This was an evolving process of anti-Semitism within society. So I think that that's also a part of it that's missing. There's a historical context that's missing. And unfortunately, a lot of the people that survived the Holocaust will no longer be with us within the next decade or so to speak upon their experiences. So I think that it's important for our generation to kind of take on the responsibility to not only share their stories, but share the historical context, because history, unfortunately, does tend to repeat itself. And the trajectory that I'm seeing right now within the United States and the way that anti-Semitism is morphing on both the left and the right it's it's headed in a very dangerous direction. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of times, especially on college campuses, we don't see this blatant form of anti-Semitism that's in your face. It's surrounding you at all times. It's every corner you turn on. You got to pick something up. More times we see it in a more subtle fashion. Can you talk about that a little bit and how you've maybe experienced um, anti-Semitism uh, just in your day-to-day -day life in ways that people might not even realize they're being anti-Semitic because we all have that implicit bias um, and we have to work on fixing that. Yeah, I mean, part of the anti-Semitism that I experienced um, was actually during my election season. When I was running for Senate, there was constant commentary about my Jewish identity and how I was only running because I was Jewish and Associated Students is controlled by the by the Jewish students at UCSB. I that, yeah. So and you know, this is like you know, you could I guess say that it's underhanded because it's, you know, on Yik Yak or it's, you know, on a platform. I'm not even on Twitter, but I know that it was also a conversation happening on Twitter. So so I guess in that way, but also you know, subtle digs and subtle assumptions about about money, about, you know, my background, all of these things are contributors to subtle anti-Semitism. But I think that's something that you said is super important is that people assume that this event, right, this spreading of these flyers is an isolated event, but it's not. The truth is, is that this event is just so in your face that it's perhaps the only time and, and it's super right wing which is why people are noticing for the first time. But by no means is it the beginning of the anti-Semitism that's been circulating in the world and in this university. And I think that that's super important to acknowledge. The Jewish students at UCSB and the Jewish community at large have been talking about this issue for years, for mm -hmm. years. But the only time that it gets attention is when something like this happens. And mm -hmm. I think that that's also super important to 
to be、uh, to, to be concerned about because if it takes something like this to get the attention of the general student body and of admin, then how are we really protecting our Jewish students? You've been listening to a segment from last night's KCSB show, "The Art of Giving Song Away." Show host Becca speaking with her friend AS Senator Tessa Bexler about their response to hate propaganda against the Jewish community being distributed around Isla Vista. If you are feeling uneasy or upset over hearing this news, there are resources for you to connect with. Call nine eight eight for the National Suicide Hotline, or the County of Santa Barbara's Behavioral Wellness Support Line at eight 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 six eight one six. Four nine. Now let's hear from our guest Joshua Molina, who's here to talk about the joys and struggles of living in Isla Vista and in Santa Barbara County. Sure, I'm Joshua Molina, and I'm a journalist with more than 20 years' experience in Santa Barbara. I currently work at NewsHawk. I also teach journalism at Santa Barbara City College and Cal State University Northridge, and I have a podcast. Called Santa Barbara Talks, where I talk about housing, education, transportation, and a variety of local issues that we all care about. Amazing! And so I have you here today on Inside Isla Vista, in conjunction with UCSB Reads,、um, with this year's book being Happy City: Transforming Our Lives Through Urban Design by Charles Montgomery.、Um, I also heard that you'll be moderating a panel about housing in Santa Barbara. Um, sometime next week, is that correct? Yes, it is February ninth, and it's going to be at the Faulkner Gallery in Santa Barbara, and it's part of the Santa Barbara Public Library's Book to Action program. So, I will be moderating a panel discussion on housing in Santa Barbara on the South Coast, and I'll be moderating with、uh, a bunch of experts in the field. So, it's going to be a really exciting event、uh, to. Check out. Nice. And so, can you tell me more about what that panel is going to touch on? Yeah. So, it is going to talk about what are some of the challenges that are facing Santa Barbara in terms of finding enough housing for、uh, everyone who、uh, lives here and who wants to live here. We obviously are dealing with a housing crisis. We have jobs in the city of Santa Barbara, but we don't have housing that is affordable to. Most people, there's about fifteen thousand people who commute into the city of Santa Barbara from Ventura County and North Santa Barbara County because we have jobs here, but the rents are out of reach and it's very expensive to buy a home in Santa Barbara. We have、uh, some serious challenges, and I think the the ship and the ability to to rent something. More attainable for all people, and there's going to be a lot of different perspectives and discussion on all the different ways to to make that happen. And so, you touched on the housing crisis in Santa Barbara. Can we talk a little bit more about the situation in Isla Vista, where a lot of students are facing the housing crisis, and in some cases, where students are living in converted garages、um, because there isn't enough sleeping space, or there's just too many students within the area. Yeah, and let's 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 sort of back up a little bit and talk about what Isla Vista is. So many people believe Isla Vista is solely a community of students, but Isla Vista has traditionally been 
the most affordable place for working class families to find a place to rent in the county. These are people who are working in multiple industries, the service industry, retail industry, and they historically have lived in Isla Vista because there have been apartments that they could uh, rent at reasonable rates. And so what we have with UCSB and its growth and its enrollment, we have an increasing amount of pressure on Isla Vista for housing. And so we're seeing students who can afford to pay really market rate and higher driving out local families who have lived in Isla Vista, who have lived in the area before. And so what you have is obviously you have landlords and property owners who own property and they're going to rent in any way they can to whoever can pay the most amount of money. And so I think we need to also think about Isla Vista is not just a student community that is being pressured and stressed and squeezed for housing, but we also need to recognize that families that have lived on Abrego Road for generations who do not go to UCSB. And so we're seeing them pushed out by students and their parents and their families who can afford to live there. Now, that's not the student's fault. That's, that's really the university's issue because the university, as we know, has failed to build enough housing to adequately support the amount of student enrollment. And obviously there's a massive discussion going on with this Munger Hall proposal. And the city of Goleta has also pursued litigation against the university over housing and the lack of housing. So there's a lot going on there. So I would just want everyone to know that this is not just, oh, UCSB students cannot find a place to live. These are families as well who have children in our public schools, who go to Isla Vista Elementary, who go to Elwood, who go to local schools who are also feeling that pressure. Obviously, if you get into a wonderful institution like UCSB, you want to live nearby. And where's the closest you want to live? You want to live in Isla Vista. And there's a lot of different types of places to to live. Uh, it's right on the beach. And the closer you are to Del Playa and Sabado Tarde and those streets, the higher the rents you're going to pay. And you're going to have a certain lifestyle that is going to be fun for a little while, but is you're going to pay for it. It's going to cost you a lot and you're going to be sharing rooms. And so there's that fun part of it. It's the culture of the university. It's being able to walk or bicycle to the place where you go to school. And that's one, those are some of the benefits of, of living there. But as we know, it's cramped, it's overcrowded. There's no place to park. So there are pros and cons to, to living in Isla Vista and there's just not enough housing. And can you touch on what makes Santa Barbara's rent and prices so high? What makes this city so expensive in general? Um, well, all of coastal California is outrageously expensive. And so you're obviously going to have a high demand. People want to live near the coast and they want to live near the beach. And we have incredible weather in Santa Barbara, Goleta, Carp, Summerland, this entire South Coast is known for pretty much consistently having good weather all year. We're built out. So Santa Barbara does not have a lot of more open space. So historically, 
they have not built the amount of housing that would be needed to house everyone who wants to live here. And part of that is political will, but part of that is Santa Barbara just doesn't want to build tall skyscrapers or anything above 60 feet. It's in the city charter. So whereas some communities may want to go dense, Santa Barbara's really pushed against that, trying to strike this balance between quality of life and protecting the reasons why people want to live here and come here versus meeting the housing needs. But I mean, it's basically wherever the climate is wonderful, people are going to want to live and there's not going to be enough space for everyone. And I wanted to touch back on you um, talking about how families are also living in Isla Vista next to these student populations. Um, what's the history of the Isla Vista demographic? Was it always majority students? Was it always like a good mix of families with college students? It's a largely Hispanic community in Isla Vista. Largely working class Hispanics have lived in Isla Vista. It's one of the few places for affordable housing before we started to identify affordable housing. So um, as we've seen the university grow and as we've seen the lack of housing for undergrads, obviously there's been a lot of housing built for faculty and graduate students, but not for undergrads. Uh, we're seeing the rents and apartments go to the highest bidder. And so that may not be something that everyone is aware of, but Isla Vista is a home of a working class community. You know, lots of people grew up in Isla Vista and lots of those people have been forced out of Isla Vista and forced out of Goleta and Santa Barbara who used to go to Isla Vista Elementary School, who used to play at the, you know, Isla Vista beaches and on the streets, and they can't live here anymore. So my point is just that when we think about this context, we don't want to just think it as, you know, Isla Vista is a just a UCSB student community. Of course it is. And there's so much wonderful things that come out of UCSB and the students who go there, but it's a diverse community too. It, there's, you know, there's a lot of great diversity and it's among the most diverse places in our county. And what makes Isla Vista rent more affordable? Why is this little town, this section of Santa Barbara County, a little bit more affordable than the rest of Santa Barbara? Well, I don't know that it is. I mean, I don't know okay. that Isla Vista is any more affordable than anywhere else. In fact, it's pretty expensive. If you look, if you wanted to rent an apartment and you look at the space that you have, it wasn't always that way, uh, but it certainly is that way now. I mean, the idea is there are apartments there, okay? So if you go to Goleta, if you go to Santa Barbara, find the apartments, okay? And so when we're talking about where are people who are working class individuals if they cannot afford a 20% down payment on a house, then you need to rent an apartment. So where are the apartments? Well, there are apartments in Isla Vista, and that's why historically it's been a place for uh, working class families. We have seen uh, Glita build more apartments, but you know most of the new units are market rate. And unless you have a Section 8 voucher, you're, you're paying you know, 
$3,000 a month for a two bedroom or something. You know, there are people who pay in rent more than people pay in a monthly mortgage if they just were able to put down a huge down payment on a home. Yeah, well, it's great to hear about your perspective on the housing crisis and just seeing like an overview of everything that's happening in the county, including um, Isla Vista. I think those are all the questions that I have for today. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention um, pertaining to the housing crisis? Um, you know, no, I think you've covered it. I think that, that we're in a real crisis and we've been in a real crisis for a long time. And so the politicians, the activists, the planners, everyone has to come together to figure out a way to support more development. And there's decisions that have to be made about where that development goes. But we're really trying to create housing for the people who grew up here, for all those little kids in elementary schools who are gonna get a high school diploma and then they're going to go to college and they're not going to be able to live here anymore, even though they grew up here and they invested in this community. And there's so much, it's so rewarding when you can give back to the community that raised you, that invested in you. So why should we export our wonderful talent to other areas just because they can't afford to live in the place that they grew up in? So I think we need to keep thinking about people and the focus of building housing is not about tall buildings and views and anything other than everybody's quality of life is better when they can live near where they work. And I think we need to keep that at the, the center of our, our thoughts about how we build more housing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are all very, very good points. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of Inside Isla Vista. All right. Thank you, Jennifer. That was Newshawk journalist Josh Molina. A longer version of the interview can be found under KCSB News on all streaming platforms. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Clarissa Hom with KCSB News. Up next, we'll be hearing about Isla Vista's efforts to keep our community safe after the recent storms. Our next guest is Jaden Harding from the Ivy Surfrider Foundation. KCSB News' Skylar Rebin spoke with Jaden about what you should know about water quality and water safety following the local storms here in Isla Vista. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Skylar Rebin with KCSB News, and today I'm joined by a special guest. Um, Jaden Harding from the Ivy Surfrider community. She will be talking to us today about what kind of impact the storm had on our nearby ocean water. So I basically just want to inquire more about the high levels of bacteria in the ocean following the storm. Um, I saw that the Surfrider Foundation posted a report on January 13th saying there were maximum levels of enterococci found at every beach in Isla Vista. Um, I was just wondering if you could go into more detail about that report and how exactly do these high levels of bacteria affect the water quality? Yeah, so <clears throat> for our testing, um, we test every Friday. And so those results from the 13th of January, um, they exceeded our testing abilities. So the methodology that we use is called IDEX, um, Interalert slash Quantitray Sealer methodology. And so Basically, um, I can share a picture with you too, but 
our quantrays all lit up. Um, so at each site, we had over 24,190 MPN values, um, which just basically looks at the bacteria count per 100 milliliters of water. I won't get into too much technicality there, but basically um, it showed extreme levels of bacteria in the water. So typically we consider high bacteria levels over 104. And as I said, this was 24,190. So this was extreme, like full maximum bacteria contamination. Is this like the highest level you guys have ever seen in like recent years? Yeah, 100%. I have never seen anything like this. So with UCSB being right on the beach and we have many students that enjoy surfing and swimming nearby, what would be the impact of these levels on individuals that are out in the water during this time? Yeah, so as always, we advise to stay out of the water three days after um, a rain event because typically um, this during this time period after um, a rainstorm, that is when Enterococcus is the highest, which is this particular um, fecal indicator bacteria that we measure for. And so um, basically swimmers or any person entering the water is at higher risk of um, suffering from skin rashes or ear infections, um, gastrointestinal illnesses, and many other um, health conditions. I also wanted to ask that with many students living on Del Playa, um, which is right on the cliff above the beach, would these levels of bacteria have any impact on the cliff erosion near those houses? Yeah, we haven't really looked too much into um, sort of like the effects of the cliff or water quality on cliff erosion. But I do know that with the cliff erosion, um, there's a lot of increased amounts of sediment entering the water, which have a whole expanded amount of um, sort of consequences on our marine ecosystem, like including um, kind of a reduced permeability of sunlight to reach the ocean floor, which reduces primary producers' ability to photosynthesize. So um, that includes our giant kelp, which throws off the entire food system. Um, and obviously there are many other bigger consequences to all of this. Also with Santa Barbara being right along the coast, we have a lot of amazing seafood restaurants. Um, would it be possible for our health to be impacted by this ocean bacteria through seafood consumption? Yeah, definitely. So the increased concentration of just general chemicals from urban runoff, which is what's causing this increase of bacteria, um, some of those chemicals can include like um, oils and um, soil bacteria, just crazy chemicals, metals. Um, and so some organisms will uptake those chemicals. Um, and this particularly causes algal blooms which can be toxic to marine wildlife um, through the reduced oxygen availability. So yes, it is very possible that we will see our fishing industry affected by the increased bacteria levels. And lastly, I just wanted to ask, um, is there anything that we can do to reduce the risk of exposure to harmful bacteria in the ocean? 
100%, yes. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, the Department of Environmental Health recommends that we stay out of the water at least 72 hours after a rain event. So no swimming, no surfing, um, just reducing as much contact as possible with the water. But in the first place, we can reduce um, the negative effects of runoff by using environmentally safe household cleaners, um, trying to avoid using products that contain pesticides, reducing our leakage of oil, antifreeze, and other fluids from our cars by regularly inspecting and maintaining them. And, you know, just trying to be as environmentally friendly as possible and keep our pollutants out of these ecosystems. That's all I have for today. Thank you so much, Jaden, for joining us. Um, and yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah, thank you for informing us about water safety. Um, I'm Skylar Rabin with KCSC News, signing off. You've been listening to Inside Isla Vista. Thanks for tuning in Wednesdays at 5 p.m. to find out what's happening in and around Isla Vista. I'm Clarissa Holm. Our theme music is Siesta by Jawser. This is 91.9 FM KCSB.